Welcome to NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 60. And if you're not, if you're in it for yourself, if you're in it for for, for your social media hits and your tweets and your likes, you're 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 in it for the wrong reason. And it's not. It is this field is not about a coach. It is about the humans you do coach. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Caulfield. Today with me, Kurt Hester, head of sports performance at Louisiana Tech, Ruston, Louisiana. But today, we are lucky enough to be in Disney with the Orlando Marriott here, Orlando World Center Marriott for USA Football National Conference. Kurt, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's always fun talking to you and always talk, fun talking shop. Yeah, it's been great. We've been hanging out for a couple of days. You had a presentation today that you did on uh, conditioning the modern football athlete. Why don't you kind of tee us up a little and tell us what you were delivering today to these football coaches? I mean, even the, the title to me is almost a misnomer because, um, you know, uh, back in 1981, my freshman year in college, we were we were doing some of the same things that we're still doing now. You know, it's over 30 years later. And with all the advanced technology that we have, uh, we're still conditioning back in the dark ages. Our our mentality towards the way um, we condition towards the physiology of, of aspects of, of conditioning are so far behind it's beyond ridiculous. And a lot of that has to do with uh, sport coaches themselves, what they what they believe in, um, you know, what they profess uh, as far as um, mental toughness for athletes. Um, and the fact that you have still in my, in our profession with uh, as far as we have progressed from a scientific standpoint with technology, um, we still have a lot of guys who, aren't very bright when it comes to certain aspects of our field. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you say that because why, so why is it that one, you think that seems sport coaches tend to have, want to have more of a ownership or keep their hand on, you know, the conditioning aspect. I think it's, it's, if they had any kind of success, um, they quantify that success for, you know, what they did, uh, in 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 the weight room, what they did on, on on the field as far as conditioning, and not the you know not the athletes they had. It's like you know they won in spite of the dumb things they were doing in the weight room or on the on the field. And and I've had uh, coaches you know sport coaches tell me, hey, Kurt, don't talk to me about that that science mumbo jumbo. Um, we did this in 1970, and we won us a state championship, and you know we're gonna do it again now. Yeah. You know, and it's just that dumb mentality of Look, you you called the right plays. You didn't have guys injured, and you had some you had some talented athletes, and you won. It wasn't it wasn't because you because of the conditioning or or what you did in the weight room. You had talent. Yeah, and so I know that you've had these conversations, and you've and you've, uh, for lack of a better term, air quotes, won some of these battles. So what what is it that you've what are you able to say with your message to a coach? Because I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this are like nodding their head right now. Oh man, oh I I deal with this every day. Right. I mean, a lot of a lot of young coaches um, don't want to. They're afraid of getting fired. You know, they're they're afraid to stand up to uh, to a sport coach, and you have to uh, come to a point uh, as as a man or a woman and say, you know what, I want to do what's right by my athletes. Yeah. 
over the, this undying loyalty to a, a, a sport coach. And um, when you get to that point in your career where you, you're, you're not going to injure, you know, go out of your way basically to injure an athlete uh, because of what uh, the wants of a sport coach, of what he feels you should be doing com- compared to what you should be doing. Um, and at, at the same time, educating, getting on a board. And I, I try to educate our whole staff. You know, I get on a board and go through the, the whys of what we do and why we do it. Um, our athletes are well-versed in it. They have a high understanding of training. Um, you know, so they know the difference between what is, what is, what is good and what is not. And um, you just have to get up to a point in your career where you don't, uh, you're not worried about getting fired. And I would, in my, my perspective is I would rather get fired than put someone in the hospital or worse, right. put somebody in a funeral home. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a real thing. And I mean, I, I think too, you know, the, the more open and, and able you are to teach, right. To be able to draw stuff on the board and show them, you know, they're going to see, and like we were talking to a couple of guys, uh, Eric Corum and Cure Flat from William and Mary and you know they told the told him about this new conditioning test and then coach is like wow yeah you can't you know that does that's not going to work and then once he saw it so he said wow this looks like football right this is great this this is what we need this is why haven't we been doing this and it's it's the same thing when you go through and like when you know the the talk I gave was to all football coaches basically and I just went through energy systems and and the length of plays, the length of rest intervals between plays, the length of rest intervals between series, and showed them where the old school gassers, the old school 300-yard shuttles, the the old school 110s, where you're not even in the system that you that you play in, right. and um, and then went through. Um, basically from training block to training block on the different types of tempo running that you can do, the different things you do with linemen, offensive defensive linemen versus uh, skilled guys or big skilled guys and where you can show them where it makes sense. And they look at it and go, oh, that makes sense. And so it's more of just trying to, you know, to get them to understand and putting on a board and going through from block to block. This is why we stack it. This is where we start. This is where we want to end. And then going through all the dangers and pitfalls of, of doing things the old school way with uh, not u- utilizing your eyes, not having a, a safe progression, not taking an account of layoffs, you know, for, a qu- for semester or quarter breaks um, and, and getting them to realize that you can, if you don't understand uh, your athletes, if you don't understand their medical their medical history, right. you can, you can really do some damage that, uh, that as a, you know, as a human, that's going to be hard for you to get over yeah. when yeah. you do something dramatic that, that affects not only your life, but the lives of your, your, you know, the, the players you're training and the families of the players that you're training. Yeah. And you talked about like the emergency action plan a little bit too, and how all your staff, you know, is kind of well-versed in the in the different stages of what needs to happen if something goes down, maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, well, first we, we, we tag all our athletes. Um, so we know what, what athletes, uh, our, our sickle cell, we know what athletes have exercise induced asthma. We know what athletes have, uh, you know, prior cardiac problems or a history of, of, of hereditary cardiac problems. So, um, we, we, in, in conditioning, we put them on, on one edge so that the trainers know what side of the field they're on. They can see them. 
We typically uh, mark them with uh, with either uh, shirts off or uh, because it's so hot where we're we're from a a red headband or a white headband. Uh, it's easy to you know it's easy to pick them out. It's easy to see them. Uh, um, so they can they can see that athlete at, at all times. If if there's any distress whatsoever, they pull the athlete out and assess them. Um, and if you know if if he needs a t- medical attention, then we go straight straight to the training room. But on top of that, because most teams have undergraduate trainers, our trainers with just masters and they're, they're 20, 20 years old, 21, 22 years old. That w- my staff understands the emergency protocol of of assessing the athlete of uh, high volume uh, O2 if, if we have it, uh, you know, down on the field, then, you know, immediately submerging the ice bass and then calling 911. So it's an action plan that, that if a young trainer gets basically uh, shell shocked and can't, can't, can't move and can't think, that we 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 can go into action and and and, and help out. Yeah, and then hopefully any anybody uh, that's in hot temperature stuff by now, you know, has that cold water emergent stuff ready to go. Especially like you were saying, Louisiana, you know, uh, things you've done making the bigs train first thing in the morning, super early, lessening your right. risk of po- possible bad things right. happening. Right. I mean, at six a.m., it's not as humid. It's not as hot. Uh, your bigs typically want to get up early and get it done, whereas your 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 receivers and DBs they're they're doing everything they can not to come train, so they'll <laughs> wait to the last minute. So they come in and we train them early in the morning. If if they have a some type of conflict where they have to come in in, in the afternoon, uh, we look at uh, the volume of training we're doing and we'll cut because of the heat, uh, especially on turf field, whether we're on turf or grass. Yeah, you have to totally. you have to look on you have to look at the heat index. Uh, how hot it is on the turf versus how hot it is on the, on the grass, the humidity level, your wind, your wind direction. There's a lot of things that you you have to utilize to and understand, use that information in, uh, you know, uh, taking your protocol and either taking away reps or, or, or adding reps. Because um, typically the guys that come in the afternoon, they want to know what the rep load was in the morning. They want to they mimic the same rep load and I'll have to hold them back saying, no, it's the, as far as, uh, your output and what you're putting out uh, at at one o'clock is a big di- big difference than six six a.m. in the morning. Right. Uh, especially if you're doing anything that's resistance uh, involved with sleds in the morning, you have dew and there's no friction. That sled will slide right across right across the turf really easy. Right. In the afternoon, when that turf heats up, it just the sled sticks to it. Uh-huh. So. Uh, a 300-pound th- sled feels like a 600-pound sled. Yeah, yeah. So you have to you take you, you take weight off, or you or you drop you drop rep loads. Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, as a you know you talked about the groups that you're in and having uh, smaller groups because of you having the nature of having kind of a smaller staff. So you know you're a, you're an excellent manager because you have to manage so many athletes and your coaches. Why don't you talk about kind of being at, you know, a uh, place where you have to maximize your resources like Louisiana Tech. I mean, it's, it's, you look at uh, even the class schedules, trying to get guys, uh, you know, some, some guys that go uh, on Tuesday and Thursdays from eight in the morning straight through to five, no break. But then they don't have no, they have no classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, <laughs> which is insane. Then you have guys who have class on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, eight to five, but uh, they have no class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So to, to, 
try to get them in, we have to we have to offer more groups because of trying to get them into a workout sometime throughout the day. Um, so that's a problem. Plus the fact that I don't I don't like training in huge groups. A lot of a lot of universities will train entire offense at one time, entire defense at one time, um, or some of them train one group, whole team, six a.m. and done. Um, I like to do a lot more of, uh, of uh, transfer training type, Bonnerchuk type uh, schemes. I like to do a lot more skill acquisition. So it's, it's not conducive to, to teaching. Yeah. And I don't, and as far as having a small staff, right. it's not conducive to really anything. It's not, yeah. not conducive to in the weight room, teaching in the weight room. It's not conducive to teaching outside. So um, yeah, it's a lot more work, but I would rather have, six groups and that, you know, six groups of football, then, then too huge. And not, I'm not getting, I'm not maximizing my time or yeah. my, my, my staff. So it's, it's tougher, but at the same time, I think we train at a higher level too. Yeah. No. And, and, uh, you talked about kind of, uh, earlier when we were kind of hanging out too, you've talked about how you, you know, realized that you had done some other stuff and you kind of realized, you know, coaching, like you're talking about those small groups, being with the athletes is really your calling. And so kind of, I guess, give us a, you know, take us way back. And some people start out with the bio first and the whole history. We're kind of working backwards. So yeah, talk to us about, you know, when, when you started private sector stuff and actually even go back farther than that, because I want to hear about, you know, you were lifting as a lifter with under Gail Hatch, right. you know, teaching you how to Olympic lift. So you could kind of go way back and bring us back around. <laughs> I, 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 it actually started even before that. I grew up, um, down real South Louisiana, uh, small town, um, in Chauvin, Louisiana. And in 1975, which this is going, this is pre even almost having muscle and fitness magazines right. at your disposal. Right. So, um, I had a, uh, I had a, a, a coach, who um, was really into lifting, and we had a program in uh, in seventh and eighth grade. Wow! And and it, we took he took two classrooms and had a weight room. We had like two squat racks, uh, two lat pull downs, uh, incline, flat bench, and we were he was teaching us to to clean, to pull, uh, squatting, bench movements, and uh, in, as seventh and eighth graders, uh, you know, in junior high, and which looking back. And you're talking about a small junior high in the middle of a cane field in way south Louisiana, middle of nowhere, to have – I was really blessed to have that guy. And that's that's what where I started. That was my, my interest. And I ended up, you know, uh, taking my money and building my own, uh, my own bench, my own pull-up racks, my own dip racks. And I was 12 <laughs> and had uh, – you know, bought that that Sears uh, cement weight, 110 pound yeah, weight yeah. set, and then my brothers were. Uh, my brother was a, a welder in a shipyard, and wow. uh, he would uh, he would they would cut cut up barges, like dismantle them, and he made. You know, I had I had dumbbells, I had 45 pound plates, 35 pound plates, where they machined them for me, huh. and I had a ton of weight, wow. you know, as a kid. So I kind of started um, started. That's where I started, and then. Like saw a picture of Arnold, and I was like, "Man, this dude gets a lot of chicks. I'm gonna, I'm to I want to get big. I want to get as big as I possibly could." Then I moved to Baton Rouge, and Gail Hatch came, spoke at my high school, and uh, started working out with him off and on. 
and uh, worked through you know all the way th- through college. Even when I was coaching at Tulane, I would drive from New Orleans to to Baton Rouge three days a week and lift. You know, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights. He'd wait for me till like eight o'clock at night, and and train with him, and he just beat me senseless on the platform, <laughs> and um, that's how I started. And and then playing the game, I really wasn't consumed with the X's and O's of the game itself. I like to bash my head into other humans. I love the physicalness of football, but I loved the mental aspect of getting ready for the game. And that's why I got into the more. I got into the field, not, not from the lifting aspect because I I, I love the train, but I loved what you had to do mentally to prepare to play a warrior sport. And that's what, what piqued my interest more than anything. So So that's kind of how I started. Uh, then went from Tulane to LSU. Um, I was GA in at, at Tulane, went to LSU. Uh, I was with Tom Shaw at Tulane, who is Y World Sports here in Orlando for yeah. the longest time. He was with the yeah, Raiders with last the Raiders, year. Yeah. Uh, he was with the Patriots, with the Saints. And, and he was like one of the first real speed guys. Okay. Uh, he was a track coach at Florida State with Deion Sanders. And yeah. um, I think our first, first year that I worked with him at Tulane, we had like Derek Brooks, uh, J.J. McCleskey, all these guys who are now coaches. Yeah. Um, uh, J.J. is a coach at Tulane. And um, uh, it's, uh, Jack Del Rio was what he played for the Saints at the time, and and we're training, you know, speed work, and I learned a lot of lot lot from Tom, and then LSU hired me as like kind of like their speed guy, okay. and uh, and worked with the LSU baseball, and you know, uh, in the mid '90s with a couple of national championships there, and then wasn't getting paid any money uh, at all, and opened my own facility on the North Shore of New Orleans. And we probably trained over 15,000 athletes, uh, high school, junior high, and professional athletes in this one facility um, when there was no other facilities really in the country. Yeah. Uh, so that was like, you're like talking pioneer at all. That yeah. I mean, first, you talk like, about uh, Parisi, yeah. um, Mike Boyle, yeah. uh, me. We probably had the only standalone facilities yeah. uh, in the country at the time. Yeah. And I had no idea who any of the, either, either one of those two guys were yeah. until yeah, later yeah. on in my career. Yeah. I'm down in South Louisiana, You're you just know, working, just, just working, coaching not guys. knowing yeah. that, yeah. that, you know, this is pre, this is like uh, pre-internet stuff. Right, right, you know? right. Um, so, uh, because there was not a lot of people doing it, I had a ton of some of the top agents in the country sending me athletes okay. in the middle of nowhere in South Louisiana and, 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 and training guys for the draft, training guys for OTAs. And, um, and then Katrina hit and I trained Will Bartholomew, who's the CEO of D, D1 Sports Training. I trained him for the draft. Uh, he went to University of Tennessee, and he had, he when he got hurt, he wanted to build. He's like, "Kurt, I want to build something like you're yeah. doing in South Louisiana." So, I helped him with uh, like a business plan. I remember the day we sat at a at an IHOP in in on the North Shore, New Orleans, uh, the day uh, the Super Bowl of the Patriots and the Rams, <laughs> when the Patri- Patriots came back and won wow. that morning. Uh, because we went to the, to, we went to the, it was in New Orleans. Yeah. And we went to the Super Bowl and uh, after that, and but we did the whole business plan. Flew up to Nashville, helped him train his his first staff, and not too long after that, Katrina decimated South Louisiana. Didn't know what was going to go on with my own facility, and he convinced me to go in with him and help him build out, uh, you know, all these facilities. Be the national director of training, write all the protocol. Spent eight years doing that. It got to the point where I was so far away from doing what I'm good at, and that is is really helping coaches and helping athletes. Yeah. And decided to go back, and um, I was in Denver working with some of uh, the Broncos and doing some work up there, building a D1 up there, and um, 
uh, Coach Skip Holes called me and hey, would you like to come back to Louisiana and coach in college? And I was I was I was ready for that. Yeah. I was just ready for that change. Yeah. And that's seven years later. Here we are. Right. Right. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I guess I got a couple questions from that. Is uh, starting your own facility at that point when you first started? You know, you kind of were like, all right had it with college i'm just gonna do my own thing what were what were like did you kind of already know all right i'm gonna need this much space and this much equipment or did you kind of have stuff or did you just have to go out and build it by or get your brothers to build it for you the idea really wasn't mine it was a friend of mine bobby gilboy who was running a huge health club um it was my college roommate at one point in time and i was like interview, you know, I was interviewing for other jobs yeah. and, and he, he was, he's like, man, I got this idea. And, uh, he goes, man, you're just going to be, you're just gonna have to suck it up and not have a lot of money for it for a year. And I was, and I just had my first kid. Okay. So I was putting a lot <laughs> yeah, on the line. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, my wife's like, what are you doing? Luckily my wife's an RN yeah, and yeah. she was making good money. And that's what kind of got me this or if she wasn't an RN, I would have never gotten through yeah. being an intern, yeah. GA, and and being able to afford to 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 become relatively qualified to be a strength coach right. because right. Of, of of because of no money yeah. and uh, having to pay bills. And so he said, "Like I just you know this sports performance thing." He goes, "Let's just let's train athletes, man, and come up with some protocol." And so what I I said, okay. He kind of convinced me to, to to take this over. He goes, I want to. I'll give you a little space. Well, I'm talking about one one squat rack and one bench. And I started with five guys. Wow. I walked into I walked into this health club, convinced five high school kids. <laughs> they were working out. Yeah. Let me train you. This is who I am. Let me train. You. I'll train you for free. Yeah. I trained them free for a month. Within 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 I think. Three months, I had like seventy-five kids, wow. and we then uh, there was they had a basketball court, and we took half the basketball court and uh, put. I built nine platforms wow. with freestanding racks and had two benches, yep. and I went from to, I went straight to about one hundred and fifty <laughs> within six months. Wow! And I tapped out. I had five hundred a day uh, when before Katrina hit. Wow. So I had 500 athletes for, and I didn't, I didn't take young kids. I took, I took, you had to be in junior high. I took from okay. 12, 12, 13 years old yeah. up. Yeah. And you talked about protocols like and developing protocols for D1 too. Is that kind of, are you talking about just kind of like standard, you know, basic movement pattern stuff that everybody is learning at a certain progression level. Like, yeah. tell us a little bit. I mean, it, more it, it had, I had to develop an entire system, kind of yeah. like Parisi wrote yeah. an entire system, yeah. like Velocity wrote an right. entire system. So it was basically a, a an entire system uh, that was multi-leveled and multi-layered. Yeah. Uh, and then I did, had to do it for, for, for multiple sports. So it was very time consuming. Uh, a lot of research, a lot of thought process because of liability issues. And you're dealing with like, you're dealing with young kids, you're dealing, you're dealing with coaches that they're, they're not, you know, the way, the way uh, our, our pay scale is, you're not, you're not getting the best coaches. So you have to put a lot of time and effort into your staff to get them up to speed or you're going to have a lawsuit on, on, you're going to hurt someone. Um, So it was, it was, it was really involved. I think that's probably was probably more stress was dealing with, Dealing with staff is your, is, no matter at a college level, 
whether you're in, uh, you're in the, at the corporate level, it's it's your biggest headache. Uh, most co- every most coaches think they're better than what they are, right? Um, and they think they all have the answers, yeah. and they think their their way is the only way. Right. And so you have to deal with that. Now you're talking about dealing with that at 32 facilities yeah. around the country, yeah. and where you you're, you're you're in and out of town, and you implement you implement protocol, then you come back a month later. And they're not even close to doing anything. Yeah. They're doing what they feel like doing that yeah. day. And, yeah. and you know, so it's, you know, firing coaches, getting new coaches. And it's just a, it's a, a merry-go-round. It's like, you know, that at the Division two level, Division three level, NAIA, FCS. And, the, you know, I'm gonna, we're in a group of five. And we're really, from a, a budget standpoint, really a mid-FCS program yeah. the way we run things and so it's your the hardest thing you're ever going to deal with is is staff yeah and that being said leads right into another good segue uh you know you have been very successful at LaTeX. you can talk a little bit about that but being that successful also has caused you to basically lose your staff every year because these guys are getting promoted. <laughs> yeah, we, we for six years, basically, you know, for six years, I've, I lose my entire staff. Uh, they get either head FCS jobs or have head D- Division two jobs, or they move up uh, to a BCS program. Um, I lost one, uh, Ryan Grubbs, to uh, Purdue uh, this year, and uh, I lost another uh, uh, coach to, uh, to Southern Utah as the head guy. And the year before that, I lost, uh, coaches to, uh, West, uh, West Texas A&M as the head guy, uh, and then one to Colorado state. And before that was Eastern Illinois and Colorado state again. And so it's, uh, it's a good thing. I, I want the best for my coaches there. You, you, you leave tech two ways. You're either fired or you move up. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I want it, and I'll do anything to help our coaches move up. If you're not good enough, I just get rid of you. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, I want to I want to put out quality coaches. I don't want what I've had done to me before was called a coach and got a wreck on an on a coach and uh, gave me an unbelievable wreck. This coach was going to be a superstar. Exact words, and the coach was the worst, huh. one of the worst humans and the worst coaches I've ever been wow. around. And I, and I and I had to get rid of them, and I I, I would never do that to another coach. Yeah, if I'm yeah. if I'm gonna recommend somebody, they're gonna be quality. Yeah. What so what's your interview process look like then if you're gonna hire somebody new? <laughs> I find that the, the best way is is bringing them in, putting putting them on the floor, giving them a group, yeah. uh, inside and outside. I want to see more. I want to see the human interaction. I want to see their technical coaching skills. I want to see, you know, that how how quick can they build a relationship with an athlete? I can do it in one session, and I want to see them. I want to see that. I want to see them coach really hard. I want to see them, uh, you know, just really uh, immerse themselves in that group and immerse themselves with those athletes. And I think for the most part. You start out with a, you know, basic phone call. Then maybe, you know, at our level, it's hard to bring guys in. Right. So then you go, fa- you go FaceTime or Skype. Yep. And then you, then when you, if you can get them in, if they're close enough, I try to get, I try to hire more regional so yeah. I can get them to drive over sure. and I'll convince them to drive over on their own tab. Yeah. And, and then I put them on and I'll let them coach the whole day yeah. and we go multiple groups. Yeah. And I find that that is where I get my best coaches, where their resume might be not, their resume might not be very good. You yeah. look at their resume. Well, he hasn't been anywhere, but you put him on. You, you put him with an athlete, yeah. and 
they they bang it out. Yeah. And I've seen I've had the opposite where I've had these crazy resumes right. where they've been at all these Power Five schools and they couldn't coach a lick. They couldn't. They had no interaction uh, with you know w- with the players. They had no personality. They had no drive. Yeah. And it was just it was just a this is where I've been, but it doesn't tell you anything about them as a person. Right. right. Um, so lately, most of the guys I've hired are actually been from Division Two and FCS schools. Yeah. Well, and that that whole right people side of things relationship building is kind of the x factor in this profession right like you you can have the greatest program written the greatest program but if you can't get athletes to believe in what you're selling and what you're telling them is going to help them then it doesn't really matter anyway no it's it a like like that that old adage that a basic program done really well and with a lot of heart and soul it will beat the best written program you know, ever it could be you know the, the the greatest sports scientists and everything could be physiologically correct in every block leading up to a season, and you know, but if you can't implement it, if the athletes don't believe in you, um, and it's really you know Brett Bartholomew is 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 on the right track with with conscious coaching and the way you know the way he he sees the you know that psychological aspect of of that relationship between the coach and the athlete. And if you're not, if you're in it for yourself, if you're in it for, for, for your social media hits and your right. tweets and your likes, you're, you're, you're in it for the wrong reason. Right. And it's not, it is, this field is not about a coach. It is yeah. about the humans you do coach. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. I think that that's the, the overarching kind of theme of coaching and this servant leadership for lack of a better term, right? Is like that you're, you don't need the accolades to do it and, and probably why guys like you and I survive if that's the right word right. for it, it as survive. long as we do it you know survive. because we're not doing it because of the, of the amount of money that we're getting yeah. paid or the amount of championships although you know winning is cool and stuff like that but there's been times and teams that we've been around that are really bad too and you yeah. have to bring the same level of commitment to that team that you do to the team that's winning the bowl game I mean I, I'll, I'll for me like walk-ons not having a staff, you, you, I mean, Coach Holtz will bring 40 in at a time yeah. and throw 40 new guys on you. And yeah. they're most of the time, they're god awful. But yeah. 10 of them are, 10 of them end up, will end up playing for us. Yeah. You know, 10 out of the 40. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'll tell them, I'll say, look, man, if you were any good, you'd got a scholarship right <laughs> off the, out of high school. So you're not, you know, so don't, because a lot of them come in with like super arrogant and like yeah. we owe them something. And I, 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 I tell them straight up, I don't. I, re, I refuse to learn your name, because it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, Afghanistan or Vietnam, where the soldiers get off the plane, they're the first ones killed, and, and other soldiers don't want to know them because they're not going to be here long. I don't want to get emotionally attached. So I tell them, you make it through, you make it through the season, you make it through uh, winter training and through spring ball, and then I'll, I'll then I'll uh, then I'll, I'll learn your name. And so I call them, you know. Uh, you know uh, uh, walk on number one, walk on number. I give them numbers, and because because most of them come in and quit after a week, they yeah. came in to get a shirt, a jersey. I mean, a shirt. Give me a t-shirt and some clothes, and then you, and then they're walking around telling, ch- telling women on campus, I play for Tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're out. So, but once they do make it, I give them, I coach them as hard or harder than our scholarship guys, yeah. and it's like, okay, you've made it, you've you've earned it, you've earned you've earned my coaching ability. Right. And because when you throw that extra, you have 120, you throw 40 yeah. with no staff, right. it 
buries you. And yeah. so that is kind of like, and so it's like a badge of honor when they make it through. Yeah. And I have only from, from last year's like 40, I have, I have 12 guys wow. left. Yeah. That stuck through it. Yeah. And they stuck through it. Yeah. And now, now they have names. Yeah. yeah now they have <laughs> names. <laughs> now, you know, um, that's great. You kind of alluded to it. Um, and you talked about it in your, um, session this morning that you presented on um, conditioning about mental toughness and I know that's a big one uh, and just we've we've heard it talked about a lot lately and you know you know the badge of honor like we gotta we gotta be tougher we gotta be in better shape we gotta be tougher so tell us you know the- yeah. I mean it, it, it's a misnomer I mean it, yeah, I don't think it it in training um, you know just like that military you know saying it's you either trained or untrained you know, and I think with conditioning, when you're conditioning athletes, um, you know, the the guys that are tough are going to beast it. They're going to go out and give you everything they have all the time. That's just their, that is their, their mental, that's their mental outlook. They have a high pain tolerance. They, uh, they're, they're driven to compete. Um, there's a lot of things involved in why, why certain people succeed and others don't. And, um, you know, so that adage that, you know, that, it, you know, we, you know, we make it so hard on or our guys become really tough. And that's, that's not true because it's your guys for a million week. They just, they're just in a little better shape so they can handle the training a little bit better. So they seem like they're mentally tough, but they're not They're They're still haven't made the choice to, to push themselves to the limit, to do what it takes to become great. Um, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the season starts, when something bad happens, they're going to be the first ones to fold yeah. and your tough guys will be the first ones to, to, to stick through it. The, 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 the million week will be the first ones who get negative, start bad mouthing the staff, start bad mouthing, mouthing the, the strength staff, the training staff, uh, the play calling, um, everything about the season. If anything's going wrong, they're the first ones to cave. And I think that if you have, it's a leadership, you know, maybe from a leadership standpoint, you can get your athletes tougher by your, your seniors leading and not accepting that kind of stuff from, from the mentally weak and trying to bring them along and trying to push them and get them and put peer pressure on them to be, make the choice to be tougher. It's a, it's a solid choice. Either you, you make the choice to be tough or you don't, you make the choice to go to class or you make the choice to sleep in. Right. You make the choice to go to study hall and get stuff done, or you make the choice to go to study hall and instead of sit on your phone for, for an hour and then leave. Yeah. You make the choice to work hard in the weight room or in conditioning or watching film. It's a choice of becoming great or not. And, you know, we have athletes that are mentally weak and they're, they're talented athletes, but the, until they make the choice to be tough, uh, it, it's not going to happen. And I think that beating uh, athletes into submission, yelling at them, getting get them to vomit, getting them, you know, to drop and to where they're crawling across the line, it it serves no purpose. Right. Yeah. And the the quote from one of your slides was it like it was talking about buds because I think that one gets thrown out. But going through buds doesn't instill toughness; it reveals it. Right. right? And that's kind of the same thing with training. When you, I mean, with I've you know worked with some some guys in the seals and. And they'll tell you that, you know, that, you know, the buds, you know, it just washes out the mentally weak, right? you know, and, and the, the tough guys stay in it. Yeah. Uh, and they'll, they'll be, but they'll be the first thing that the first ones to tell you that they made it through buds because of each other, because right. they're because they, they bonded together and pushed each other to get through. Now I do think that that's an aspect of conditioning that, that 
it's that brotherhood and that community together of pushing through something that is hard. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think it needs to be hard, but there's certain there's there's kinds of hard. Yeah. There's standards. Setting standards right, in right. everything you do on the drill yeah. is that standard is just as hard as the drill itself. Yeah. And and so and having the seniors, you know, pull, pull each other up so that they they uh, they they elevate themselves to that standard on every drill every day. That's how you win. That is mental toughness. Right. The drill itself is not the mental toughness part. Yeah. That's, and that's like you're saying, that's the leadership of the upperclassmen. That's the culture of your team of your that team. you've crafted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's huge. Um, and speaking of standards too, we talked a little bit about, or a lot about coaching in general, the profession this weekend and, you know, amongst ourselves and with some other guys and, you know, kind of give us your, thoughts about that you've got some ideas about how we might better evaluate each other uh you know i mean i think it's like like we talked about earlier is as far as the field has come from a science scientific standpoint as far as technology uh uh, sports science and how we're looking at data and we've come really far but at the same time i think we have gone so far backwards uh with the way we present ourselves i think that um, we, you know, we have too many coaches who pre- pre- present themselves with this macho bravado, that, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and it's this social media, Kim Kardashian type, right. you know, let, let me see how many hits I get. Let me put something yeah. off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, super aggressive. My shirt's off, my sleeves are off. Right. I'm doing this. And, and look, you know, I, I talked to Brad about this, uh, you know, and he couldn't believe it, you know, that I grew up. Uh, in a, you know, pre-cell phone, right. you know, pre-cell phone camera phone. Yeah. And I've done some, you know, crazy things to, to motivate my athletes. But it was something, in my mind, it was something to help my athletes yeah. uh, to perform better. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to get social media hits. I wasn't trying to, to market myself as this type of guy. I was just trying to get the best out of my athletes. And I was, and it was something I was doing, it was something personal that I was doing for him, um, where, um, you know, with the brought a SWAT team in with, you know, assault shotguns and chain the door shot and shut, you know, they, they would blank. So shout out, you know, she would, you know, the SWAT team comes in, you know, dress full tilt, shooting, shooting up the weight room with the blanks and the players like just going crazy. You know, some got a little scared, you know, thinking it was a, you know, they're all getting arrested. And, yeah. You know, but it was like, you know, me with the SWAT team and it was, it was in my facility. Um, uh, when it, I caught a, you know, an eight foot alligator, brought him in and threw him in the, you know, I just taped his mouth up and then stabbed him in front of the team and ate him later. But, you know, it, but, you know, to get him fired up before a squad day. I mean, I'd done certain things like that, but it wasn't, it was, this is between me and you, like Vegas. Right. It doesn't get out. And for two years, the kids, never, the athletes never even talked about it. Yeah. You know, this is just something I, you know, it wasn't something I was doing to, elevate myself yeah. in the field, which yeah, yeah. it really doesn't. It makes you look like a Neanderthal idiot. <laughs> right, right. Like you don't know, have a clue yeah. what of, of actual training, actual training like. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's just this, you know, you have to be, you know, a football coach looks at a strength coach and goes, Oh, he has to be, you know, six, four, two forty, tatted up, you know, and just, and just yells all the time. Yeah. And, you know, yelling is not coaching. Right. right. There's nothing technical. I kind of, showed you all that today yeah, in the, in, yeah. in the, in, in my presentation and, and, um, 
but that's what a football coach thinks a strength coach is. Yeah. And the football coaches are doing the hiring. Right. And But they can't ask relevant questions in the hiring process yeah. of biomechanics, of physiology, of progressions, yeah. of periodization. They, they don't know. They definitely know the answers, but they don't know the questions sure. at all. Sure, sure. You know, so um, you got the wrong people making the hires. Yeah. Um, you have ADs who are backing them. You know, because they're like, you're not making the coach happy, so I'm going to fire you. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I told our AD, I, I wasn't here to, I wasn't hired to make the head coach happy. I was hired for more for the safety of our athletes. Yeah. And that's my number one job, the safety of our athletes. After that, then it's training, yeah. you know. And so I've had my battles with administration and with sport coaches, and I, I, I refuse to back down. Yeah. I, I never will. It's, yeah. it's I'm... You know, uh, I think young coaches are, are so enthralled with head coaches at, at any sport and they'll bow down to them, be submissive. And, you know, and because they, they have this badge of, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm un, my undying loyalty. Right. And then they end up hurting somebody. Right. Yeah. And it could and that could be the, that undying loyalty could end up hurting somebody because they're basically doing what the head coach wanted done wanted instead done. of what they know should be done because they, and they probably do know because chances are they probably do have a master's degree right. and are, have a certification. So they probably know. You can't say that you didn't know. Right. Right. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's great. Um, yeah. And you talked about being kind of, you know, when you were saying you were like, when you first started, you were, you know, minimally qualified at least, you know, what, what does that mean to you? <laughs> I mean, to me, it, like your CSCS, it, you know, your, 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 your CSCS, uh, is to me and your undergrad, uh, and you know, masters are like, if I think you, you don't even get a master's in, in, in Kines. I think you get a master's in sports psych or a master's in sports nutrition. You go, yeah. I think you go a different route. I agree. Um, to be more, uh, uh, rounded as a coach, um, you know, Professors don't like to hear this, and in higher, uh, you know, edu- you know, uh, institutions of higher education don't want to hear this. But you can now with the computer age, you can you can pretty much learn a, a master's degree online, like just researching your own, you know, researching your own topics and becoming very, getting really in depth in 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 minute uh, topics when it comes to training and, and becoming an expert at these at minutia on different aspects. And that, to me, that is a master's me, you know, going work with some top level Olympic coaches. That's, you know, coach Hatch used to always tell me, you know, when I was older, look, you're working on your, 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 your Hatch PhD. Right. You know, I'm teaching right. you stuff that no one else, that I'm not going to teach anybody else. Yeah. Uh, I felt the same way when I was with Tom Shaw. I felt the same way with Dan, you know, just being with Dan Path when he was at Florida, going up to Canada and, uh, and, and, and working with some of the Olympic coaches up there. And, you know, um, so, I mean, that's the minimum. I think, you know, it's, it, I think experience is to a certain extent, some coaches rely, well, I've been in the field for 30 years. Well, but you sucked for 30 years, right. you know, and that, that, but there are some guys who have, after 30 years have, you know, have learned along the way through experience yeah. that you can't take those experiences away from because it, it, it made them better coaches all the way, all the way through. Sure. Yeah. You've, um, and I mean, you've been coaching for 30 years, you're still growing and still learning. Like how, what are you doing to stay on at the, at the forefront of that, especially being as busy as you are, you don't have tons of vacations. You know? No, I mean, uh, I, I think the, I'm, I'm so consumed by it. I'm so, I've always been, like I said, that, that aspect of what's next, 
you know, uh, and that of, of just, um, you know, I'm insistent on, on, on reading. I, I mean, my, I, I, you look at walking to my house, it looks like a, uh, like a nutty professor house. There's just stacks of books and stacks of articles. There's just stuff everywhere. You know, it drives my wife insane. And cause I'm constantly, re- I mean, I try to read three or four books a month. Um, and, and I'm so ADD, I can't read one at a time. So I read four at a time. So I, I read one for a little while, read another one. And, um, you know, just, just constantly trying to digest as much information as I can, working, getting out and working. Uh, like even today, just, we're talking with uh, Andy Ryland and we were talking about uh, doing grappling and conditioning with linemen. And, and we actually came up with, with a couple of drills by just me and him talking yeah. and saying, well, yeah, what if you do this and you do this and you do this with, and we're talking about doing it with slosh pipes, with yeah. offensive defense yeah. linemen. And, and that's where you know, you start learning more by interacting with other coaches and throwing around a ton of ideas. Yeah. No, that's such a, such an important part of it. Right. And that we've said, we, uh, we talked about earlier, like we've had as much, as much, uh, learning or, you know, continuing the, continuing the education after the clinic, after the 5 PM sessions over. And when we're, when you're hanging out at the bar, that restaurant and you're, jotting stuff down on napkins and like that part of the conference is where some of the best education goes on. I think just about every conference I've gone to uh, either spoke or, or, or was, you know, attending the conference. It was always after the fact where people kind of put their guards down and relaxed and put their egos away, had a beer or two and which probably had something to do with putting their egos away and helped out a little bit (laughs) and, and just going through, okay, this is, you know, just, just throwing ideas out and by bouncing ideas back and forth, I've come up with, um, entire protocol. Jeff Hauser and I, who's at Duke, who I think is one of the brightest humans in, in our field, especially when it comes to speed development. And we sat in a bar for six hours and I wrote, uh, a stack, probably a five-inch stack of, of, of protocol on on bar napkins, oh, nice. and we wrote out and you know just entire protocol on on uh, on a plyometric pro- protocol yeah. that we thought was different than what anybody else was doing, and then he implemented it with uh, Duke's volleyball uh, team, and where he had like a, a one-inch per week gain in vertical jump. Awful. What we just writing, t- throwing, throwing stuff back and forth. And what if we did this? And what if we did this? What do you think about this? <laughs> and so I've, I've had, you know, and, and I like it's something I spoke at summer strong. Jeff drove up from North Carolina, uh, drove down from North Carolina. Yeah. We sat for three hours there talking and, uh, we played NC state one year. He drove in and we, we, you know, every time we get a chance, we try and sit down for three or four hours and just talk training. That's awesome. Yeah. And you have to have those key people in your, in your, uh, coaching tree and your kind of mentorship, you know, tree, however that goes. And, and I think that's critical. Um, this has been an incredible episode. I know that based off of all these, uh, I want to keep talking to you and we definitely want people to keep reaching out. I know you've got a good presence on social media. What's, uh, if people want to follow up with you, if they don't follow you already and whatnot, what's the best way to connect? Uh, I mean, it's connected either, you know, at, at the Kurt Hester on Twitter or it's Hester Kurt on Instagram. Um, email K Hester at latech.edu. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, it might take me a little bit, but I will get back to you. Um, when you DM me, I, I typically, if I'm riding in a car traveling or whatever, 
that's when I sit down and hit hit back. I mean, I did a couple of DMs from the presentation this morning, where I'm just emailing the guys the presentation. Yeah. You know, um, so um, I, I I try to get back, and then if if the question is too extensive, then um, I'll, I'll we'll get on the phone. And it's easier to talk on the phone than it is to, to, to write things out. And you guys uh, always looking for interns down there too? We're always looking for free interns. Uh, being in Ruston, Louisiana, which is in North Louisiana, is not very big. Uh, it's kind of hard to get you know to get help. So uh, you know if you're if you're willing to learn, willing willing to work, you know we'll you know I'll take it. If you got a heartbeat, you're breathing, and you're, you're <laughs> and you're ambulatory, we're we're good to go. Yeah. You're close to Mar- close to Louisiana, so you, or to New Orleans, so uh, plenty of other things to do if you uh, you know want the yeah, experience of coming to Louisiana. You're, you're close to Dallas. You're close <laughs> to you're close to Dallas, Jackson, Mississippi, and and New Orleans. So. There you go, the, the trifecta. The trifecta, <laughs> yeah, the South. Yeah, uh, this has been fantastic, man. I appreciate you being on the show. No problem, man. It was awesome being here. And if you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about NSCA strength and conditioning certifications, you can get all the details at nsca.com slash certification. Also, just want to thank everybody for listening in. We truly appreciate you guys who listen to us and give us the support. We couldn't do it without you. So keep writing reviews, subscribing, uh, wherever you get your podcast from. And also a big thanks to our new sponsor of the podcast, Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We truly appreciate their support as well. Thanks again for listening to the coaching podcast. See you next time. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.